podcast. My name is Allison, and I am the creator and host of the show. Today, I'll be interviewing Joshua Porter, who I've had the pleasure of working with in the past when I was interviewing, or not interviewing, interning at a refugee organization where we worked together on a class training refugees to be certified so that they could become medical and social interpreters in their native languages. So welcome, Joshua. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, first, just talk a little bit about what you do. Sure. Um, so as you said, I've worked in advocacy and education. I'm an ESL teacher of eight years, and um, I'm the former director of an ESL college that was here in town. Um, and I'm the member of several organizations, uh, SREC, which is Spokane Regional ESL Consortium, and uh, the Spokane Regional ESL Conference, which just uh, happened not too long ago. <laughs> Um, and basically I, I like to volunteer. I'm kind of like you. If, if an opportunity arises, I, I jump on it. I've worked with Refugee Connections, World Relief Spokane, um, International Rescue Committee. Committee? Committee. Yep. Yeah. Committee. <laughs> I always want to say commission. Um, Same. <laughs> IRC. And, uh, and a slew of other, the food bank, basically access to education, healthcare, security, well-being, um, food security, those kind of things that that are often taken for granted. Mm -hmm. I like to offer assistance in. Um, and we, we were talking earlier mm -hmm. about sort of my path in education is a bit windy. Um, I graduated uh, Eastern Washington University with a creative writing degree and an anthropology degree, which I do not recommend <laughs> if you want to get employed, if you want to seek uh, gainful employment afterwards. It, yeah, I wanted to be... Jack Kerouac or, or, you know, a poet. I mean, don't we all to an extent? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, and then I realized that, you know, that doesn't necessarily pay the bills right away. So um, I took a job answering phones at a medical clinic. And that led to more education and um, specialization. And I answered an email one day that wasn't even intended for me. I w it was accidentally forwarded on. And it asked if, um, if it called for volunteers in Haiti. And this is about... Um, about six months after the earthquake. And so, which was 2009 10, or 10? Something like that. Yeah, 2010. So um, I have, they answered enthusiastically and they're like, yes. Uh, so I organized fundraising events and, and put it all together. Um, and I went and volunteered on a, a small team in uh, a couple of medical clinics in rural Haiti. And before I went, I did my best to culturing myself. I took French in high school and I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I am not bilingual. <laughs> English is difficult enough for me, but um, I learned as much Haitian Creole as I could. Um, and I printed out a bunch of photos, the destruction and the, the famine, and, and I stuck them all around my house, on the walls, above my microwave, on the fridge, hanging on strings throughout my uh, office, because I wanted to familiarize myself with the reality over there. And I didn't want to be one of those um, volunteerists, mm -hmm. yeah. the phrase. Uh, I read Dr. Paul Farmer's book, Mountains Beyond Mountains. I just, I did everything I could to understand politically, culturally, socially, what I would encounter so that I was better prepared. So for three months, I crammed all this knowledge in my brain and, and went over there and volunteered. And, um, it, I mean, it paid off, the research and, and the effort, because... I was welcomed with a greater respect, even though I had, you know, broken language skills and <laughs> bumbling and, and making a fool of myself. Um, but they could tell I was trying. 
And so um, I made friends and, and I, I didn't stay too long. Um, in fact, I just felt like I was starting to become part of the community when I had to leave because mm-hmm. uh, of life and responsibilities here. But um, coming back, that experience of, of living and working with another culture didn't leave me. I mean, the translators became friends with me and they asked me to do ad hoc classes at night, which after 10 hour clinical days and in, in humidity and hundred degree weather, I was like, what did I say yes to? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I found myself looking forward to it. Hour 10 would be almost over and I'm like, all right, yeah. classroom time. <laughs> so I started volunteering for an ESL school here in town and I volunteered for like six weeks, made friends, um, chit-chatting in the classroom, but I, I had linguistics background. So one day a teacher didn't show up and they asked if I'd step in. Fast forward four months later, I was offered a job part-time. Uh, six months after that, offered full-time faculty position. And then uh, six years later, five to six years later, I was um, sort of elected among my peers to lead as director. Um, and throughout that, my mission remained um, helping those that, that need help with the simplest of things. Language is our, our fundamental communication skill that separates us from other animal life. <laughs> and, um, and without it, we'd be lost. And um, I myself had had that experience of not being able to order food for myself without you know, eating something that's a surprise. or <laughs> Not that there was a lot of food in Haiti. No. But, um, <laughs> But, you know, I struggled and I knew that struggle and I wanted to help someone else gain English skills. Particularly, I was interested in the refugee community because, um, and we we spoke a little bit about this too, most people don't realize what a refugee is. Mm -hmm. There's this widespread misconception that refugees are um, individuals who see life in America and are like, that looks great, I want some of that. And they come here and they get assistance and and sort of live off of our resources. That's not at all true. A refugee is someone who is literally running for their lives. And they don't just waltz into the country. There's years, sometimes decades of waiting. And they leave their family. Their families are broken up sometimes. They they don't want to be here necessarily. (laughs) Most of the time I would say they don't want to be here. They want to be in their home country with their traditional culture, eating their traditional foods, um, speaking their native language. They have everything we have. They have poetry, they have dance, they have music. Um, and they want that, but they had to run from their homes sometimes with hours notice Mm -hmm. and flee for their lives, um, and go through traumas that we cannot imagine. And then they wind up here and they're given six months of support to barely settle themselves. And then it's like, you're on your own. Yeah. And I've met hundreds of refugees in Spokane. Um, we just had a celebration not long ago that the 10,000 refugees we've resettled here over the last eight to 10 years, I think. And, um, and I mean, that's a small fraction of, of those that come to other cities, Seattle, and then come here because the cost of living is, is more affordable. Um, so we have tons of culture here in Spokane that people largely don't see because they, they sort of keep to themselves. They don't, they haven't perfected the language. They have a hard time, um, reaching out, whether it's culturally or socially, um, to, to people here. And, and honestly, in the news, there's, it's not welcoming Mm -hmm. all the time. There's a lot of negativity out there. And, um, 
And so that plight, <laughs> that um, effort that these individuals go through is just, it's dear to my heart in, um, in that I want to offer something. So I've tried to offer education where I can. I've volunteered and I'll, I'll essentially teach anyone that asks at yeah. any time. <laughs> and you're right. I do uh, the, the medical interpreter test prep. Um, previously, it was social and medical. Now it's we focused on medical. Um, it's still happening. It's in its fourth term uh, starting up here soon. So and exciting. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's right now it's all volunteer teachers, um, highly skilled teachers too. Uh, to really give them an edge to hopefully, you know, secure a job as an interpreter. And it does a lot of good. It, it, um, if someone is in medical need, I mean, imagine you are in a country where you don't speak the language mm -hmm. and you have a traumatic thing happen. Your appendix bursts. Oh God. <laughs> you have to go to the doctor and you can't communicate what's going on. You just have yeah. to hope they can guess from where you're poking and, and holding your side and mm -hmm. writhing in pain that they'll figure it out. Um, it could be life or death. So if, if someone's here and they need medical help, it helps in that way. It also helps our, our um, native English-speaking doctors and nurses and PAs and staff um, be able to communicate with their patients effectively. Um, and it promotes sort of this connection in our community that we don't have. So um, we've gained a lot of traction. We've been funded by a few different sources, uh, hopefully to expand. We had a wait list, um, really 89 good. applicants this time. Wow. So That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's been a winding path for me, mm -hmm. but I've encountered a lot of amazing um, people along the way that are both, you know, learners and um, teachers and advocates. Yeah. Um, we really have a beautiful community here in Spokane. And I, I'm excited to be here today to talk about that community and how people can kind of get out there and experience a different culture for themselves. Because really, my first interactions were happenstance. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate in that I got a random email and I decided to say yes and I traveled <laughs> to another culture, uh, culture's country and lived there and, and got to experience this really... Uh, it was a valence leap. I mean, it was um, an evolution of my own education and growth to experience that. And I feel like I want to share that experience with everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's, you don't have to move to Haiti and live and work <laughs> crazy hours um, to do that. You can do that right here in Spokane by connecting with a neighbor or showing up to a community event or reaching out to a lot of the groups that we have here and volunteering. Um, volunteering is sometimes this thing that people believe they should only do if they're court mandated or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like if they're in trouble at school, they right. get, you know, <laughs> but it is so rewarding. Um, I've had this, this sort of philosophical debate with friends time and time again, where are we, are we really philanthropic? Are we really humanitarians if we're doing it for this selfish, good feeling that arises inside right. once we do it? Um, and the conclusion that I've come to is I, I don't know. And I don't know that it matters. Yeah, you're doing good regardless. Yeah, yeah. If I'm doing the selfish act of, of feeling, doing something that makes me feel good, and the byproduct is help and assistance and building community, where's the, you know, so be it. Mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> Plus, I feel like if you 
feel good. I'm always kind of of the belief that if you feel good, you're going to do good kind of yeah. thing. So if you're feeling so great about this experience and you're going to connect better with the people that you're potentially serving, um, I think that makes it better for everybody, which is wonderful. Another takeaway I'd like people to hopefully get from this too um, is sort of dispelling the idea that um, that cultures are apart from us. I mean, we, we share so many different things. Um, I think that once you, once you experience another culture, once you really interact, um, you will find way more commonalities than, than not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something intrinsically human <laughs> that connects us all. And, and it's a really, really cool thing to, to discover. And sometimes juxtaposing and comparing the differences is is a fun game too. Like, mm-hmm. meet someone from another culture and ask them what sound a frog makes. Oh, that's my favorite. I love yeah. doing that. <laughs> what sound does a rooster make? Yes. You will get some really astounding answers. And then you sort of reach this point of self-reflection where you're like, wait, they probably think my rooster sound is ridiculous. Yeah. Or my frog sound. Ribbit, ribbit, what? Um, or, you know, we were, we were discussing earlier about... Um, everybody thinks accents sound so interesting and strange and different. And, um, they're like, Oh, you speak with an accent. So do you. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone does. (laughs) So does everybody. And it's not until you travel somewhere else that you realize, Oh, I'm the, I'm the one with the accent. (laughs) Um, and that's sort of a, a profound and humbling experience in and of itself. Um, so go out and do that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> go put yourself in a position where you realize I'm the one with the accent and you'll, you'll be grateful for it later. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think? So I think something I've noticed a lot with people when they're dealing with somebody, whether it be a refugee or an immigrant, they're dealing with somebody from another culture. I mean, dealing with sounds negative. That's the word that's coming to mind right now. Experiencing another Experiencing. Culture. Thank you. Sure. Um, how do you recommend somebody navigate that potential language barrier. I feel like that's what intimidates people the most. And that's when I find people are the most apprehensive about communicating with someone from another culture as they're fearful of that language barrier. So a language barrier can be prohibitive in a lot of different ways. Um, access to basic necessities, you know, food, education, healthcare, but on a social level, um, if you're just, you know, sharing a bus bench together Mm -hmm. or in a library or whatever, um, while you're at the coffee shop and you meet someone that, that you speak none of their words and they speak none of your words, um, you will realize how much of our language is, is not vocalized. Mm-hmm. Body language is huge. It's like 80% of our true communication. Um, I, I'm making that statistic up. <laughs> it it's, probably is huge. It, look it up. But yeah. it's a big part of our lives. And... Um, we know when we run into somebody if they're if they're welcoming or if they're upset or if they're hurt, and that transcends cultures. That's pan-cultural. A smile and laughter, not necessarily a smile. Smiles can those can be positive or negative. Mm-hmm, that's what in different I've contexts. learned. Yes. Even <laughs> even in our context, our culture, you've seen that um, you know sly smile that a, a I don't know a combative colleague gives you across the room because mm-hmm. you're competing or something, but. Laughter, true laughter, like belly laughter is ubiquitous. Babies laugh and human babies are the same everywhere. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so quickly you will pick up on 
on that. And you'll, you'll sort of appreciate that you don't necessarily need to even speak. And then it's, it's actually easy. Being a language teacher is the simplest and most complex job in the world simultaneously because anyone can do it. Anyone who is patient enough to um, sit with someone and, and work out how to teach a word. You know, you hold up an egg and you say egg <laughs> or, um, you know, whatever. You, you, can, you would figure it out out of necessity. Necessity is the mother of invention and, and um, you would find yourself more capable than you ever imagined to be a language teacher with no experience just from sharing a park bench with someone. Um, one case in point is I, I like to exercise and go to the gym and I, I went for a swim one day and the lanes were pretty full and so I took a break and I was sitting in the, the jacuzzi and um, this young man came up and he was, I, honestly I don't even remember what country he was from, but we figured out that we don't speak the same language because I said <laughs> hello and it went from there. Um, yet we were able to have a 20 minute conversation where minimal information was exchanged. Wow. I found out he had family, he had siblings, a younger brother, which I have as well. And, um, we got a, it was all, it was mostly through hand signals and like, Interesting. you know, he, he knew maybe five English words. He knew brother or fa- I think he knew family. And then we, we kind of taught each other, you know, boy, girl, old, young wow. through hand signals. And it was great. And I ran into him again later. Um, and, you know, ever since then, if we see each other, we smile and wave and we'll exchange some words. And his English has improved. He, he has basic sentences. How's your day? This kind of thing. Um, but it, it was a great experience for me. Even as a language teacher, I could have been sitting there um, without any linguistic skills. And it would have been the same situation, I'm convinced. Um, what it takes is just the willingness to, to participate in that authentic experience. Um, which can be hard. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty social person and not everybody is, but, um, the reward you'll get from that is so profound that everybody should try it. I mean, you know, start out small, just talk to a native speaking American. Mm-hmm. You haven't talked, talk to a stranger yeah. in a coffee shop, say hello, smile. Um, and then, you know, if you encounter someone from a different culture, do the same thing. Uh, make some friends. It's, it's amazing. I've tried home cooked food from over 17 different countries and it's the best thing in the world. It's amazing. (laughs) I want to travel everywhere just to eat. Me too. (laughs) I don't know how you land one of those, um, you know, cable food shows where you do that, but you find out, let me know. Yeah. (laughs) Go do that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it can be a really amazing experience and I think everyone should participate in that. Do you feel that our generally like international political climate would be a lot better if people absolutely knew that they could communicate in this way absolutely i think that the root of all fear is the unknown mm-hmm. i think we very much fear what we don't understand and um cultural norms can be vastly different um out of necessity or out of tradition I mean, if you think about our cultural norms, they're weird. <laughs> the tooth fairy is weird. We, a part of our body breaks off and we hide it under our pillows and we get, get chained. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, 
When you break down a lot, like our phrases, our idioms, it's raining cats and dogs. Yeah. When you translate that, people think you're a lunatic. (laughs) Why would you say that? And unless you stop and you think about it and you self-assess, you're like, yeah, why do we say that? Right. Um, And it, (laughs) we don't realize until we step back that we're just as weird as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I use that word affectionately. I think that our nuances make make us great. Our cultural individualism um, really makes the world interesting. But there is so much garbage out there that the internet, by and large, is a negative space. Mm-hmm. You know, it was designed by academics to communicate um, and improve, and it, it has done that. It does that to a percentage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then this vast percentage, it's this anonymous um, sort of venting pool where people can get out and and say a lot of things and, and much of it's just garbage and not true and and I think that um, sort of affects our society as a whole and I, I'm a generally optimistic person but you know I, I notice these things and I think well how can we combat this and that that the propaganda that's out there that like I said before, refugees come here and just want to take advantage of our resources and and take our jobs. No, they're fleeing for their lives and they want to go home, but they can't. Um, and people that haven't had the luxury of, of a conversation with an immigrant or refugee or asylum seeker, someone that is from some beautiful culture that we haven't experienced, someone that hasn't had that, um, that experience yet, um, maybe has only seen some of this negativity and by no fault of their own, they have this fear that they may not even be aware of themselves. And that fear drives them to, um, distance themselves and see human beings as other. Um, and that's a dangerous modality. Yeah. And unless we can just like take a beat and take a couple deep breaths and think, hmm, is this something that I that is truly worthy of fear, or is it something that I just don't yet understand? Um, and I think the majority of the time it will be the latter. I just mm-hmm. I, I haven't experienced this yet. Um, and for those that have enough self awareness and and intellectual capability to do that, to stop and say, wait. I just don't know anything about this yet. I should, I should figure it out first and then make a decision about whether it's good or bad in my life. Um, those that can do that and then can take that second step to, to just have a conversation and be a little bit vulnerable in their, in their social interaction, um, put themselves out there. <laughs> you're, you are, you're kind of, you're kind of dating, you know, whenever you yeah. meet anybody, <laughs> you know, your, your colleagues, any new relationship in your life. We, we use the word relationship, um, as a default romantic term, but we have hundreds of relationships in our lives with our colleagues and our friends and strangers, the, um, checker at the market and grocery store. Um, those little micro interactions are a part of our lives and they, you know, and they're part of their lives. So we are parts of other people's stories. And, um, I think that it's important to remind yourself of that every day and think, what kind of character do I want to be in this other person's story? I really like that. That's nice. Um, well, at this point, is there anything else you would like to discuss in that realm? 
if not, we could be talking for hours and then for people listening. My <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could, um, I could talk about this for, for hours on end, but, um, I think those are the takeaways I hope people, uh, um, think on after this, if you're listening out there and, and you just want something to sort of mentally chew on and, and roll around is one, a refugee and an immigrant and, you know, someone living here, our default assumption should not be, oh, this is somebody who's coming here to take advantage of, of the socioeconomic capabilities of our country. It should be, the default reaction should be, this person might be coming from a terrible experience and working harder than anybody I know. And I should, I should jump there first and, and then get to know them. Um, so that, that sort of definition of a refugee would be, be the first takeaway. Um, the second would be to get out there and experience another culture, like be vulnerable, put yourself out there, meet somebody new and, um, and you're going to find more commonalities than not. And you're really going to broaden your, uh, social and and intellectual horizons by trying some new food. You may not like it all. That's okay. (laughs) I had goat intestine stew in Haiti and it is not good. <laughs> what you're imagining goat intestine stew tastes like, that's it. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a it was a cool experience. I mean, I tried something new and um I think everyone should should do that because in that experience um it provides a lot of good self-reflection and you realize that I have my own cultural nuances and I have my own um cultural eccentricities that um make me who I am. And I think I'm cool. People think they're, they're cool. Like the number one thing people like to talk about is themselves. And a lot of, a lot of people that are learning the language, they just want to speak with somebody. So share your culture, share your experience, and then give time for learning about somebody else's culture too. Um, so takeaway one, that definition of refugee is someone that, uh, is a, you know, a beautiful person that may be um, has experienced something traumatic and is fleeing for their lives and is grateful just to be alive and awake today. Um, and take away two to, to get out there and, and experience something. There's so many volunteer opportunities here. Refugee Connections, Spokane, Woo-hoo. RCS. <laughs> uh, we're both a little biased cause we volunteer there, but yeah. it's that cool. It's, it's a great experience. Um, World Relief Spokane, uh, the resettlement agency. That's another great place. Um, there's also a great thrift shop, um, yeah. global neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. They employ refugees. Their deals are great. I buy stuff there all the time or donate there. It's a good place to go donate. Um, go to the food bank. It's, you know, food security is something that are aside from refugees, a lot of spokenites take advantage of, and it's amazing. And that's where I'm working right now. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Super yeah. Important. And I mean, there is a dozen other organizations. If you're interested in any of that, um, you know, email me or, um, reach out to this podcast, uh, you know, chat about it, ask a friend, bring a friend, put yourself out there and try something new. Um, and I promise you'll, you'll get something positive and rewarding out of it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk today and thank you to everyone who's listening. This is Kindcast. Kind